Good morning and welcome to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser. And this is Steph Smith. So Steph, what are we going to talk about today? So I have a hot take this morning. This is Monday morning that we're recording this. And it's not so much a hot take, but I've just noticed that a lot of people have this beautiful new freedom, which I think is incredible, where they can work from wherever they want. They can live from wherever they want. This is something that you and I have had the privilege of doing for several years. And I've just found it funny because now that there's a critical mass who can do this, you've just seen all of these fancy terms for migration or the ability, again, to just live and work where you want. So some of the funny ones I've seen are things like experimental cities or voting with your feet. I've seen things like the city exodus. Someone else shared the great reshuffling. I just thought these were funny, just very fancy terms for this concept that really has always existed. But I think it is incredible that so many people now have this privilege. I didn't want to spend the whole podcast talking about how I found these terms silly. But what I did want to do is I realized, wow, so many other people have this opportunity. And this is something that we went through years ago. And it isn't so straightforward when you start having this additional freedom to know how you want to spend your time, where you want to be. And I just wanted to use this pod as an opportunity for us to share our story and share some of the lessons we learned really early on. Okay, so we're going to talk about working from home and some tips. Yes, that's a simple explanation. Awesome. I'll start with a quick story of my own. I worked at an investment bank in New York. It was very much a cubicle-driven life, and I joined a startup, and it was fully remote. I actually planned on staying in New York at that time, had my relationships and my friendships there. But then my boss was an Argentinian guy living in Cartagena, Colombia. And my best friend was also working for the company. And he's like, why don't you just come down with me and you can onboard with your boss in person and just see if you like this travel thing. So me and him went down there for two weeks. My first week on the job was literally in Cartagena, Colombia after living in New York and working in the investment bank. And on day one, we did all this awesome whiteboarding in this place with a hammock overlooking the ocean. And then we finished the day at 5 p.m. playing paddle tennis on the beach with my boss. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best. This is so much different than the investment bank where I'm wearing suits and people are very serious and we're working all night long. And what I realized during those first two weeks was that you could work remotely and travel and that I actually wanted to do that and that you could be productive and you could learn and you could do all these things that you had in the office while also getting this additional benefit of seeing new places plus doing new things. And then the next four years, we're doing that many times over to 40 plus countries and figuring out how to do that in a sustainable way. You mentioned a sustainable way. Something that I found early on when I started working remotely and traveling was that it was difficult to balance the two. Was it really easy for you because you were coming out of 60 plus hour investment banking weeks or how did you find that transition? I actually found it surprisingly easy in a lot of ways. I was used to working really hard and I was actually working very hard at the job I was at because I was moving up a pretty steep learning curve. But I think that being young and then being used to the intensity of the bank helped me do that. And what was really energizing was being able to just go to new places. I think the first two months we spent in Cartagena and I got my footing. But then after that, we were popping around one to three weeks in a place and moving quite aggressively through many different places in South America while working very hard. One of the benefits was it was just me and my buddy. So I didn't have all my friends around or all these competing obligations. It was just like work, explore the place and go have fun. And there was just lots of that. Is that something you'd recommend to hop around really quickly at the beginning? I don't know if I'd recommend or not recommend anything. What I liked during that period is we've talked about the explore versus exploit framework. I really wanted to see a lot of new places and to see the world. And I was able to prioritize just having fun outside of work and working. 
if you wanted to do many other things outside of that, it would be too hard to move too quickly. What I learned later on is when you move too fast, you don't have time to build relationships in a city. So you get a more superficial view. And then you also can burn yourself out. We're flying in the middle of the week sometimes trying to balance work in all kinds of ways. And I think if you wanted to move around in a sustainable way, you would definitely do it more slowly, one to two months, probably in each place. Yeah. What I've seen from my years of nomading is at least nomads who have done this for a very long time. So in the years, they do move around really quickly at the beginning because it's energizing and you're excited and you want to see all these places. But over time, that slows down into a more sustainable pace. And I've heard people use the term slow matting. I've seen a lot of people at that point spend probably half a year in one place and half a year in another place split between just those so that they really have their community and all the things that you get from the long term aspect of living somewhere, but then they get to switch it up every so often. It depends on what your work requires as well. I've seen people in remote jobs who still have a pretty fixed nine to five schedule. I was at a company that was pretty results oriented and the work that I was doing, I could almost do it at any hour of the day. And I still was working very hard, but I did have flexibility to take flights on Tuesdays and no one was going to go fire me for that. One thing I wanted to quickly talk about is A lot of people, once they have the opportunity to work remotely, at least maybe pre-pandemic, they really did go and travel the world. And that's amazing. That's what we both chose to do. But one of the things that I think people misunderstand about location independence is it means you just can be wherever the hell you want to be. So if that means you want to stay in your city, then stay in your city. Or what we saw early on at the first remote company I worked at is a lot of people would just use that as an opportunity to, for example, move to where their partner is or move a little closer to family or just move somewhere new, not necessarily go hit the road, but move to somewhere they've always wanted to live. I think the awesome thing about remote work and just being able to be anywhere is just that you get to design your life in the ways that you wanted. It just so happened for me. I really wanted to see the world, didn't travel much as a kid. And I took that opportunity to just move around really quickly and see lots of things. But now I'm still location independent, but I've chosen to stay in one place because my goals are different. Maybe you want to build a family, whatever it may be. It's different than what I was thinking about when I was 22 to 26 and just really trying to get as much exposure to the world as possible. So in this idea of now having more freedom than you had before, I wanted to talk about this concept that when you work in an office, let's say, like you were working in investment banking, you have so many things predefined for you. So you have your work hours to some extent predefined for you. You have the exact place you're working, the exact environment you're working, like the chair you sit in, the people surrounding you directly. And when you wipe that away, that's basically what you're doing when you become fully location independent. You can choose exactly where you want to work and that whole string of things you now have a decision to make. The analogy I like to give is when you're working in an office, you basically have a box given to you, pun intended for those working in very small offices, but you basically have things defined for you. And when you start to work remotely, All of that is wiped away and you now need to build your own box. What I think a lot of people miss in that early stage, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, is it's actually surprisingly hard to build your own box. Sometimes a lot of freedom sounds really appealing, but at the end of the day, those are all just so many new decisions that you have to make. And I think some people, especially in that early stage, struggle to identify what they really want and how they work most productively. Yeah, that's a tough transition. I guess I can only speak to my own experience. I just popped around with a laptop for four years and I didn't have a cool setup and I would work out of cafes. One thing that I made sure I did though, and this was just due to the nature of my work, I made sure that I had Airbnbs with good Wi-Fi where I could have quiet calls. 
I think if you're in a situation where you're traveling and you can't have quiet calls, then that can be a problem for certain roles. And then if you don't do the travel route, at least now I have a monitor, I have a keyboard, I have things that just make working more sustainable. And I actually think I would be really tired out if I was just on my laptop for four years. My my back's starting to hurt. <laughs> yeah, I truthfully don't know many people who have nomaded like in the quick fashion for more than a couple of years while they're working. The other part of that is not just physically where you're working and the equipment you have, but something I found early on is just, I really struggled to be productive at first because the hours weren't set for me. And I think the same way that when you travel a lot, you want to explore and exploit the places you want to be in and see what resonates with you. I found the same thing with defining my schedule and things like that where I had to test out, like, do I like working in the mornings? Do I like working at night? Do I like working in blocks? Or do I like just working the whole day straight? Do I like having a lot of calls? Do I not like having a lot of calls? I had to learn a lot of that early on because again, in the previous job, it's just whatever is given to you in this box, you got to take it. And in getting that freedom, I really had to explore a little bit. How do I work most effectively? Did you find the same thing or did you just slide into <laughs> your new role? I actually found it so easy to be more productive. And I'll tell you why. One thing I really hated about office life is I am really productive in the morning and then I fade in the afternoon and then I get a second wind. When I have to just sit in an office, I spend that afternoon just miserable. What I did when I first started working remotely is I would go swim laps or go for a run during this time. And that actually recharged me more quickly. It made me happier and I could spend my weekends doing really cool things too. And I just felt like way more energized and joy filled than I did when I was in an office. Part of that was the nature of the work. But I think one of the challenges with working remotely is I've always been a very self-driven person. So all of the pressure I have, it actually doesn't often really come from my bosses. It's something I self-impose. And so the remote environment works really well for me because I'm happy to just get up and start working and figure that out as I go. I think some people actually need some external motivation or they need more of a social element to their work to help them feel connected and to keep going. And I just love that you could go heads down, open up the laptop and just start being productive right away and build your life around that. I totally agree. I think I fit into that same bucket. One thing I quickly want to say is for people listening who maybe started working in the pandemic remotely, pandemic remote work is not the same as normal remote work. I've talked to many other remote workers throughout this time period, and it's been tough. If you found it tough, that's not normal remote work. And what I mean by that is normally when you work remotely, you have things that intersect your life, right? So you have a dinner with friends or you have this awesome opportunity to go on a weekend trip somewhere. And of course, some of these are starting to become more available now. But at the peak of the pandemic, all you were doing was like sitting in the same place with your laptop and you just had this endless stream of remote work. So at least in a normal circumstance, you have more interjections between your work and the other things in your life. Yeah. One of the things that I think is tough about remote work and why it's not for everyone, but it can be extremely isolating. And because people weren't maybe hanging out with their friends and family as much, if you're just sitting on your laptop all day, you can easily burn out too. One of the pitfalls I consistently fall into and one of the challenges of adapting to the remote world is because work is always accessible, you can work at any time. So I'll find myself working at nine or 10 at night. Sometimes I've chosen to do that. Again, it's not because anyone's necessarily asking me to do it, but it's available and I find it hard to shut off. And that can lead to this burnout if you don't manage that appropriately. And there's always more to do. Whereas when you leave the office, there's something really compelling about you've left work behind and now you can move on to the next phase of what you want to do. You'll always make fun of me because I'll be like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And you're like, no, you're not. Like, There's always more to do. So you mentioned that you've gotten better at addressing this. Have there been any tips or tactics that you've used to check out when you need to? 
I think one of them is just accepting that you can't get everything done that you want to get done. I have my work and then I have my side projects and then I have my whatever other obligations. I'll just never get the to-do list done. And so what I've done is I have a weekly review of the things that I want to do. And I've gotten better over time at calibrating how much can I do in a given week and then updating that if some circumstances come in like I'm sick and I just found a way to be compassionate with myself. The last thing is just if you can do a shutdown routine, like box work from 10 to 7 p.m., don't let yourself work before that and don't let yourself work after that. Find the hours that work for you. But if I leave the whole day to work, I'll often work at both ends of the day. I think when you, again, are in an office, you have predefined times that you work and then you get all this freedom and you're like, I just want infinite freedom. But at the end of the day, sometimes infinite freedom is actually harder. It sounds counterintuitive, but adding a couple more rules into your life can be helpful. And then the other thing that I found helpful is, again, some people think this is silly or a little too much, but I try to add goals into the non-work aspects of my life because at the end of the day, if you have goals in one aspect of your life, work most of the time, metrics or KPIs that you're trying to hit, and then you don't have anything in that fashion in the other part of your life, then I find that whenever you have that free time, your brain naturally goes towards the thing that is measurable and that you feel like you can move. Of course, there's other aspects in our lives that we can move. We can get better sleep. We can exercise more. We can develop deeper relationships. But if that's not measured in some way, shape, or form, I do find that we tend to just lean into what is measurable. So I found that adding some measurable goals, even if it's just like how often I floss, for example. That is something that I track, which probably a lot of people will find silly, but it's something that I do more because there's something that I can measure there. I want to talk about a couple of other concepts that maybe you have some thoughts on, challenges people may be having. Two big ones that I think people struggle with, including myself, digital miscommunication. So in the remote world, most of the communication is written and you have Zoom, of course, but I find that a lot of people struggle to adapt to moving from say an office environment to a purely Slack digital environment. And part of that is because of writing. And it's really easy to misunderstand what someone is saying in writing, especially their intent. And even more so if you're working in a global culture where people don't know one another because there's not the trust and there's different ways of communication. And then the second idea, I think a big difficulty is also related to burnout, but there's information overload with remote work. You have Slack, you have Trello, you have Asana, you have email. You just have endless ways of engaging online. And I think one of the things that you have to become is a very good calibrator and prioritizer. I see people who respond to Slack messages right away. I think they're nuts. I think it's cool and really useful <laughs> when I send someone a message and they're ready to respond to me right away. I've gotten in the habit of, I might not respond to people for an hour or two, and that may annoy some people and may not work within your culture, but it's helped me actually prioritize deep work and not get lost in the noise or even just the tendency to do work that makes you feel productive, but that actually isn't very productive. Absolutely. That was something that I really had to change my mindset around when I first started work where I would be measuring the time I was working, really. Even if I wasn't directly measuring it in my head, I was like, if I work this amount of time during the day, I'm productive, I'm a good contributor. And I found actually through my boss at the time, he reoriented that view for me. I remember even early on sending him a message being like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to a dentist appointment. And he was like, please do not tell me this anymore. Please don't tell me how you're spending your time. What I care about is your results. And so that really made me start to realize through those interactions, no, I need to focus on what actually moves the needle and be proud of that, not the amount of hours that I'm spending. And I think to your point, one thing that really helps there is I've had to batch 
some of these more administrative tasks. So I really like Superhuman, for example, where I can just batch all of my non-work emails till Sunday. So I'm not consistently revisiting my email throughout the day or I'll batch all of my Asana tasks and revisit them at the end of the day. So I've tried to do stuff like that. So I do have enough time in the middle of the day to really get things done. And then the other thing is I really encourage people to take control of your calendar. So block off time if you need it. I try to block off all of Wednesdays and I've actually gotten the whole company to start to adopt that. And additionally, I'll block off entire afternoons where I just say, I need this time to get stuff done. And if I don't have that really significant block of time, I won't get anything done. Yeah, I think another thing on that one is just stacking calls. If you're going to have calls, don't have a half hour call, then a half hour break, then a half hour call. Just like batch your calls together. I think that's another good one. I also block Wednesdays. That's interesting. Were you the person who put I'm eating lunch in my Slack status? Because that actually is a funny thing that I think people who are new to remote, they do that over communication as to what they're actually doing. And I'm like, I don't care when you're eating lunch. In a good remote environment, results should win out. And that's another thing. If you're working for a company that's still measuring the time you sit in your desk and you're in the remote environment, I would try to get out of that and find a way to measure your output based on results so that you don't feel productivity guilt if you are hitting your goals and not working as much time as you might have in the office. I struggle with that too, is I feel guilt when I'm not spending a lot of time, even if I'm driving outsized results. Exactly. I think it also relates to the culture of the company because the first remote company I was at was fully remote and they really did have this environment where I don't care what you're doing with your time. I care about your results. And so you could not respond to Slack messages sometimes for a very long period of time. And that was embedded in the culture where it wasn't expected that you necessarily responded right away. That differed from the company I'm at today, which was more office driven, at least to start. They actually didn't hire remote workers until shortly before the pandemic. And there is more of the culture of during these hours, during North American hours, I expect you to respond relatively quickly. And I think it's actually really powerful when companies move to a more asynchronous environment, because it incentivizes people to build up processes and operations such that no one is fully dependent on another person. And they may be dependent in a longer time frame, like I need your feedback in the next day, but it's not dependent in the sense that I need your feedback immediately and this project will fail because we set up ridiculous deadlines if we're not online at the same time. Yeah, there's definitely an adjustment when companies go from not remote to remote. And I also think it's a problem when there's like half remote and half office. One great equalizer or One little trick that I did, and this was the benefit of traveling around and working at a global company, I tried to meet as many of my colleagues as possible because one beer or one dinner with someone transforms your relationship with them. You see it's a real person. It's not an API on the other side, just robotically responding to your messages or cranking out work because that's one of the disadvantages of remote work, it can feel very transactional. And if you can just find ways to meet people once, I always did that when I had a team and even flew all the way to Eastern Europe to do something like that, because it just transforms your relationships with your colleagues. And so I think there's always that place for in-person if companies have a large number of people who have not met one another and you can't discount that. And I've not found a way to replace that either. Something that I've tried to do in order to meet that social need that you have at work is to look for social interaction outside of work. So I loved working at co-working spaces and things like that, which I know pandemic, a little tougher right now, but hopefully as things open back up, that's available to people. But the second is a lot of people try to mix work 
and social within the same call, for example. So they'll spend the first 10 minutes of a call talking and getting to know their team. What's more effective is allocate specific calls to be really transactional and effective, and then allocate some time to be social. So what we do now is just every Friday, we have a 30 minute to one hour call where that's literally just there to hang out with each other. So I think actually allocating time to that can make things a little more enjoyable. I think that's a good idea. Small talk is is helpful, but if you always spend a third of your time talking on calls with small talk, it's less effective and not necessary. Cool. We went through a bunch of suggestions here. I'm sure since this is a topic we're both very passionate about, we will revisit it. But in terms of the takeaways, I think one of them for me is just this idea that location independence just means that you have the ability to be exactly where you want to be. So if that means stay in your city, stay in your city. If it means go travel the world, go travel the world. But I think it's a really exciting opportunity, not just physically where you are, but again, how you can design your schedule and your life. I agree. I love the lifestyle flexibility with it and the opportunity to design life as you want it. And that may look like someone who's traveling to 20 countries in one year. It may be someone who just gets to spend more time with their family and exercise in the afternoon. And that's why I love remote work. We all need to get a little bit better at figuring out how to do it better together and how to optimize it for what we need in that moment. One final thing I wanted to ask you, Cal. Do you ever think you will return to the office? No, <laughs> I, I can't imagine. It was so clear to me within the first year that I never wanted to return to the office. I wasn't sure if I would have to one day because at that time there were certainly fewer good remote opportunities, but I just can't, I can't imagine it. I can't either, to be honest. But I don't know. I'll, I'll stay open-minded. I It's not that I hate the office per se. It's just that I've gotten so used to this flexibility and- You love your flexibility more than you love the office. I just love not having to wake up and shower immediately and look a certain way and be in my desk when I'm not feeling productive and being judged when I'm going for a swim in the afternoon. All of that to me is noise and work is one part of my life. And I like to just blend it all together in a way that the office seems to not allow. I agree. I think we're seeing a lot of people project that now that the pandemic is subsiding, at least to some degree, that people will rush back to the office. I think that there will be an initial rush. But at the end of the day, I think that will subside over time as people realize how important, how amazing it is to have flexibility in their lives. And I think really we'll just end up at an equilibrium where maybe people on average go to the office maybe once or twice a week. But I don't think we'll ever get back to the state where people are going back every single day, at least the people who don't have to. Ooh, this is where you and I disagree. We'll have to save this for another episode. I, th- I think the office is a better life for a large percentage of people and remote work has many pitfalls to it. And maybe if we have a better infrastructure, we can make it better for certain people. But let's save this one for another episode because this is a hot take on both sides. Okay, this was the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. If you want to follow along, you can find me at Steph Smith IO. And you can find me at Calvin underscore Rosser on Twitter. Great, thanks for listening. See ya.